to this holy week, these three holiest of days. We are yet again undone. Yet again surprised, yet again astounded and awed by the extent that you have gone to redeem us, to love us, to bring us back to yourself. Lord, I pray this night and all of these nights of this holy week, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive again your love for us, that you would transform us, that you would meet us in the midst of these liturgies through your word, through your sacraments, by your spirit, in your people. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. In the text we just read from John chapter 13, John says to us, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And that text there, just that one simple sentence from John, really fits as sort of the, the banner theme over all of these next three days, these Holy Week services as we gather Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The scriptures tell us, John again, that God loved the world. Tang Cosmon, the cosmos, the whole created order, so much that he gave his only begotten son. And the son loved his own who were in the world so much that he loved them to the end. He gave himself for them, an offering and a sacrifice. He loved them. He loved us with what Sally Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite authors, the authoress of the Jesus Storybook Bible, will call a never-stopping, never-giving-up, never-breaking, always-and-forever love. We see the radical lengths of that love that will just shine so brightly tomorrow night as we gather around the Mount of Crucifixion. But here tonight, we see the whole demonstration of that outpoured love sacramentally prefigured. We see it sacramentally prefigured in the events that we celebrate this evening. A sacrament is a tangible token, a, a sign, a symbol through which God acts in time and space to accomplish his works of grace. So in the broadest sense, this foot washing that we read about has a spiritual, a sacramental quality to it. It's not one of the you know, two sacrifices that our Lord ordained uh, in the scriptures. It's not even one of the five sacraments that the church points to. But it has a sacramental quality to it. Jesus takes an ordinary act the custom of washing a guest's feet, and he imbues it with new meaning and and new power. 
in sign and symbol, he enacts that glorious reality that we've seen again and again over our Lenten journey here at Christ Our Hope as we've been looking at the book of Philippians. As we looked a couple of times in Philippians chapter 2 at that great hymn that declared that he did not count equality with God something to be, to be grasped at, but that he, because he was God, emptied himself and took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Symbolically enacting that reality, Jesus gets up from the table lays aside his outer garments and takes up the basin and and the towel and washes the feet of his disciples. But here's the really remarkable demonstration of the extent of his love that I find in this story. John makes the editorial comment so that we don't miss it. John says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus knows full well what is about to transpire the rest of this evening, the rest of this week. He knows that he can't trust Judas any further than he can throw him. He knows he's about to betray him in just a couple of hours' time. And yet, and yet, even Judas, as unlovable as he may be, even he is loved so immensely by Jesus that Jesus would serve him and wash his feet too. Just sit with that for a moment. I don't know where we are all coming from this evening as we come into this Holy Week, as we come to this Maundy Thursday. I don't know even what everybody in this room's spiritual journey has necessarily even looked like. But I have been wearing these robes for 15 years now. And so I do know a little bit about human beings in general and about Jesus followers in specific. And I know that very often we carry around such shame and fear within us that we believe that lie that we are somehow not good enough to be loved by Jesus, to be loved by the Father. Even Jesus followers who can quote you, you know, the entirety of Romans 8, you know, there is no now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and they can go on and on and on. They know it with their thinker but it hasn't penetrated down to the heart level. But the reality, the reality is that this demonstrates to us how 
far the love of Jesus will go. One of my favorite church history professors used to talk about the Reverend John Newton, the author you all have sung numerous times his most famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I don't know if you know the story, but after he was converted, he had been a slave-trading, seafaring captain. He came to Christ and became an Anglican priest. And the story goes that as he was serving in his sort of dingy little uh, by-the-wayside parish in London, people of all different walks of life would actually seek out John Newton to make confession to him. Because, as my professor put it, there was nothing that you could tell John Newton that he hadn't done and liked, and probably done it worse than you back in the day. In a similar way, this is the point of John's inclusion of this important detail. There is nothing that you have done. There is no shame that you carry. No fear that controls you. No betrayal that you have committed that could possibly compare to Judas's flagrantly selling out the Son of God and sealing his death warrant for money. Nothing that you could do, have done by comparison. Yet this man is one of those that Jesus loved so much. He would see his love through to the end. He would even stoop and wash his feet. How much more his love for you. Jesus is delighted to love you in the same way. Now sadly, tragically... Judas makes his choice and commits to his course of betrayal. As a result, he does not get to participate in the sacramental fellowship of the church. He leaves before Christ institutes the communion meal. And we know later in the story that he dies at his own hands, overwrought with despair over what he has done. But Jesus longs to enfold you, me, every man, woman, and child on the planet in his immeasurable love. But each is given a choice in responding to that love. But please never turn away because you somehow believe that lie, that Christ's love is not enough to include you. He laid down his very life to call you his own. And having loved you who are his own in the world, he loved you to the very end. John goes on in his record of these events. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Jesus here, in this very act, also hands off his ministry to his people, the church. We celebrate the birth of the sacramental ministry of the church on Maundy Thursday, the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's why our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters hold it as a day of holy obligation. But beyond the institution of the sacrament of the body and blood 
of our Lord, this also marks the institution of the servant ministry of the church. To be the hands and the feet of Christ to one another and to the world. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done, Jesus says. A few verses later, Jesus will also say, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The church is to be known for sharing in and expressing the love of Christ. When we gather as the church, be it on a Sunday or here in Holy Week or in our homes during one of our uh, midweek home groups or visiting with one another over dinner or an illness or a crisis, whenever we are gathered two or more in Jesus' name, Jesus has made us a promise. He's promised that he will be in our midst. What he meant by that is wherever the church, the gathering of God's people is, whatever form it takes, we are expressing the continued presence of Christ on earth. We are the embodiment of Christ in our own day. Now that has huge and sweeping implications for how we interact with one another in the world, doesn't it? The model Jesus gives us is that when we come together, we are to be mindful of how we can be Jesus to one another. How we can sacrificially love and serve one another. And when we're out there together in the world, we're to be mindful that we are the hands and feet and mouth and ears and eyes of Christ to the world. Seeing and hearing the concerns, the needs, speaking words of comfort and hope, tangibly expressing God's love for our neighbors. That's what it means to obey Christ's commandment, to love one another just as he loved us. Someone asked me not long ago how I measure success for us as a church. My first thought was, um, I don't, (laughs) because to me, the language of success seems somehow antithetical to the whole proposition of being church, right? I mean, Jesus sort of told us that the church is kind of the anti-success story according to the world's standards. Nevertheless, as I think about it, I would say that if we as a church were known for our love for Christ and our love for one another, I would feel comfortable counting that as success. If we were known for a love that holds on to the very end. Love, in the way that, as C.S. Lewis put it, forgives the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Love that might actually cost me something from time to time. Love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. If we were a community that others looked at and went, wow, those people really seem to love each other. Or, wow, I don't understand those people, and I'm pretty sure I don't even agree with them most of the time, but I do know they have loved me and loved me well. If we were known as that kind of church, that would be a success. Friends, that's what we celebrate this evening. It's what we're here to celebrate over these next two nights. (laughs) 
We celebrate that God loved us. Christ loved me. Christ loved you. His own in the world. That he loved us right up to the end. Loved us to such an extent that none of us could ever find ourselves beyond the bounds of his love. Loved us in such a way that we could be enabled to love one another in word, truly, tangibly, indeed. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, it's one thing to talk about your love. It's another thing to experience it. And yet another to enact it. Yet that is why we are here tonight. Not just talk about the love of Christ, but to know it experientially. To express it in a simple act. simple act that seems incredibly strange to outsiders, an act that seems incredibly uncomfortable to insiders, and yet a tangible expression of the humility and love that you have shown us. So Lord, stay with us as this evening is at hand. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts, awaken our hope. We would know you as you've revealed yourself in these scriptures and in these acts. We would know you in the breaking of bread. It's in your name that we pray, our Lord and our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. He's like, hey, great, you're going to boast of your learning and your success. Watch me go. I can play that game too, right? But it's all worthless, he says. It's all, like I said, he literally says poo, actually. It's all poo compared to knowing one thing and one thing only. Knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. That's all that really matters. The leaders worth listening to, the examples worth looking to, uh, are the ones who just desperately want more of Jesus. You may know that last week Sarah and I had the opportunity to attend a, a clergy and spouse retreat with our friends in the Diocese of the Upper Midwest back in Wisconsin. And I think one of the things that we both came away from that retreat inspired by was how much that bishop and the Canadian bishop that he invited to come and be our retreat leader, and how much so many of the priests and deacons of that diocese just want more intimacy with Jesus. It was contagious. It was contagious. This bishop, Todd Atkinson, who led our time, I didn't know until after the fact, because we started stalking him online, right? I didn't know until after the fact. He graduated from Oxford with degrees in philosophy and theology, Oddly enough, that never came up during our time. What came up is how desperately he relies on the Spirit of God and how desperately he wants to know Jesus more intimately. 
And like I said, it was contagious. I came away from that time burning in my belly for the same. Lord, I want to want to know you like that. I need to know you like that. Hunger has awakened in me to pursue deeper intimacy with Christ. Those brothers and sisters are the people that I want to be around. They're the examples that I'm looking to and seeking to emulate. Seek the example of those whose confidence is in Christ, not in themselves. Fourth, Paul says, seek the example of those who are growing, not calcifying in their faith. Seek the example of those who are growing, not calcifying in their faith. Paul finishes his thought in verse 10, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, Toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. One of the greatest joys of my pastoral ministry is the opportunity to walk through life with people who are in different stages of life. Very few of you here now anymore remember St. Jean Smith, a dear saint of God who in her 80s, when I got to know her here as she helped us plant this church, uh, you know, I was always struck by her razor-sharp wit, right, her razor-sharp mind, but beyond any of that, her hunger to learn, her hunger to know more of Jesus. She had been walking literally her entire 80 years with Christ. This was actually the third church plant since like 1960-something that she had helped with. But she would say, I just know there's so much more I still need to learn. What an example. Those are the people that I want to be around. Sadly, our churches are filled with those who falsely believe that they've somehow arrived. Or with those who are continually looking backward at a bygone era in their spiritual life. And faith, But the hard truth is that this sense of arrival or the focus on the rear view, it's actually an indication of calcification. It's an indication of calcification. Seek rather the example of those who are willing to forget what lies behind and still just want to press on to the upward call of Christ. These are the examples you want to sniff out, brothers and sisters. And so finally, Paul urges us, look to the example of those who are looking toward the resurrection. Looking to the resurrection, not those whose minds are bent toward earthly things. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, he's not talking about outsiders. He's talking about people in the church walking as enemies of the cross, of this example of Christ's self-emptying and his patient obedience. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, 
and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, the entire atmosphere of our culture, the entire modeled example set before us in this world today, is bent on shaping our focus on self-gratification, self-actualization, self-fulfillment. So this comes with the frank recognition that overcoming the bombardment of our society to focus on myself and my immediate circumstances, that sometimes seems daunting and nearly impossible, doesn't it? Look then to the example of those who are muddling along and doing their level best to do just that. Look to those who are seeking the power of the resurrection in their daily lives over and against the pursuit of wealth, prestige, uh, reputation, influence. Those who, like Paul, want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Friends, this is the mystery of a life of ongoing grace and growth. The same power that took a man who was dead three days in the ground and raised him to new life again. That same power is at work within you and within me by the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Think on that for a minute. It's the same power that works in us to will and to do that which is pleasing to God. It's the same power that works in us to transform us from the inside out, to make us holy, set-apart temples, dwelling places for God's holy presence. It's the same power that breaks the yoke of our brokenness and our bondage to self. The bondages that were thrown upon us by broken models of thinking and behaving that infected us in childhood and beyond. It's that same power that enables us to keep going, keep pressing on, straining toward what lies ahead. That keeps us growing in grace and humility. That says, I'm not there yet. I'm content, but I'm not satisfied. There's always more of Jesus that I can know. There's always more sin and brokenness to be healed. There's always new grace to be lived in. The people that know that mystery and live accordingly, those are the people you want to look to, brothers and sisters. So finally, some practical thoughts on how we go about this. We know who we're supposed to be pursuing We know what examples we're supposed to be following. So how do we find them? There are some of these among us, as I've said. But discerning who can model what to me requires knowing people. That's why we've laid such emphasis on small group ministries, for instance. That's why we have these Lenten soup suppers and prayer. Alicia, who helped organize them this year, put it so well on Wednesday. She said it gives us an opportunity to slow down and eat together to get to know each other. Once you identify someone with one of these attributes, spend time with them. Hey, could we grab coffee together sometime? Hey, I would love to have you and your husband and your kids over. What small group did you say you were a part of? And if you see something in them that you know you want or need in your spiritual life, you may even want to humble yourself to ask that brother or sister to pray with you. 
and pray for you. Hey, you are amazing with hospitality, with putting other people first. I just feel like that's something the Lord needs to grow in me. Would you pray with me about that? I would love if you would do that. For my part, this is why we drove 45 plus hours last week to be with these brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith. This is why now I'm looking at working a trip to Alberta, Canada into my summer sabbatical time to spend more time with that Bishop Todd Atkinson. Spend time with and seek prayer from these models. But look beyond this body as well. My own spiritual life and growth has been deeply nourished by reading the stories and teachings of the saints of the church. It's not too late this Lent to take on a new Lenten discipline and and pick up a biography of a great Christian of the past or the teachings of one of the saints. But I also need to acknowledge here the other edge of this blade, pun intended. (laughs) Even as we look for examples of others in the faith to nourish our faith, others that we want to emulate, we are also at the same moment challenged to consider what is the example that I am providing to others? Go back over that list. If I'm seeking to follow Christ, how much of my life presents a worthy example to others of other-centeredness, of proven, costly faith, of radical jesus focus, hunger for growth and resurrection power? Good thing it's Lent, because if we're honest we'll all find there are places where our example is not exactly shiny. Don't condemn yourself over that. That's not what we're here for. That's why we have a season of repentance, prayer, and fasting. Because we can take those areas, and again, not self-condemn, but confess the shortfall and ask Jesus for the grace to grow. So as we... Include, I just want to invite you in your time of prayer. Let's take some time to be quiet before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, what are the areas, first of all, let's, let's confess. What are the areas where I have left a less than shiny example to others? Just invite Him to speak. knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Offer that up to him. Say, Lord, maybe you need to lead me to an example of someone who can pray for me and help me with this. So next, ask the Lord, what's a, what's a practical step you would want me to take this week? there's a place a way you need to extend yourself in relationship to just get to know people perhaps you know somebody that the Lord would bring to your mind that you need to pursue 
perhaps it would be a good idea for you to pick up a spiritual biography. I don't know, but the Lord does. Ask him. Lord, we praise you that you came not to be served, but to serve. To give your life as a ransom for us. To model obedience. And to raise up in your body ongoing models. Lord, deal graciously with your people this morning, we ask. It's in your holy name that we pray, our Lord and our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.